TED Audio Collective. Hi, everyone. It's Madhupa Akinola, and this is TED Business. We're taking a short break, so we have one of our favorite past episodes for you. Enjoy, and we'll be back with a fresh episode for you in a couple of weeks. We are in a crisis of trust. The world's trust in the United States has declined by more than 50% since 2016. Two-thirds of Black Americans don't trust the police to treat them equally. A whole section of the population doesn't trust media to report real news. Many of us have become less trusting of institutions to be fair and ethical. In the midst of so much tumult, is there a way, a reliable way based on research to rebuild trust? Welcome to the TED Business Podcast. I'm your host, Madhupa Akinola, Associate Professor of Management at Columbia Business School and Director of the Sanford C. Bernstein & Company Center for Leadership and Ethics. In today's talk from TED 2018 by Francis Fry, you'll learn the three key components of trust and potentially spot which ones are your weakest links, the obstacles that prevent others from viewing you as trustworthy. Frances Fry is a Harvard Business School professor. She examines how leaders create the conditions for organizations and individuals to thrive through strategy, operations, and culture. And she put her research into practice by taking a hiatus from Harvard Business School to be the Senior Vice President for Leadership and Strategy at Uber. She's also the author of two books, Unleashed and Uncommon Service. I'm willing to bet that Francis's questions and poignant examples will give you greater clarity on the habits you should stop to gain others' trust and those you should start immediately to sustain this trust. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this show comes from Economist Education. TED Business listeners know we've discussed how businesses can drive solutions to social problems, which requires understanding and presenting your data effectively. And Economist Education has a new course on data storytelling and visualization. Economist Education provides online executive education courses that last about two to six weeks. They're designed to empower business professionals to thrive. It covers everything from international relations, sustainability, critical thinking, and more. The courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who share their insights. Economist Education is a great way to stay ahead in your career, and I have a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com 
slash TEDBusiness. Enter our promo code TEDBusiness at registration. This offer ends on March 31st. Don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash TEDBusiness and use promo code TEDBusiness at registration. I want to talk to you about how to build and rebuild trust because it's my belief that trust is the foundation for everything we do. And that if we can learn to trust one another more, we can have unprecedented human progress. But what if trust is broken? What if your CEO is caught on video disparaging an employee? What if your employees experience a culture of bias, exclusion, and worse? What if there's a data breach and it feels an awful lot like a cover-up than seriously addressing it? And most tragically, what if a technological fail leads to the loss of human life? If I was giving this talk six months ago, I would have been wearing an Uber T-shirt. I'm a Harvard Business School professor, but I was super attracted to going to an organization that was metaphorically and perhaps quite literally on fire. I had read everything that was written in the newspaper, and that was precisely what drew me to the organization. This was an organization that had lost trust with every constituent that mattered. But there's a word about me that I should share. My favorite trait is redemption. I believe that there is a better version of us around every corner. And I have seen firsthand how organizations and communities and individuals change at breathtaking speed. I went to Uber with the hopes of a turnaround there could give license to the rest of us who might have narrower versions of their challenges. But when I got to Uber, I made a really big mistake. I publicly committed to wearing an Uber T-shirt every day until every other employee was wearing an Uber T-shirt. I had clearly not thought that through. <laughs> It was 250 days of wearing an Uber T-shirt. Now I am liberated from that commitment as I am back at HBS. And what I'd like to do is share with you how far I have taken that liberty, which, it's baby steps. <laughs> But I would just say I'm on my way. <laughs> Now, trust, if we're going to rebuild it, we have to understand its component parts. The component parts of trust are super well understood. There's three things about trust. If you sense that I am being authentic, you are much more likely to trust me. If you sense that I have real rigor in my logic, you are far more likely to trust me. And if you believe that my empathy is directed towards you, you are far more likely to trust me. When all three of these things are working, we have great trust. 
But if any one of these three gets shaky, if any one of these three wobbles, trust is threatened. Now, here's what I'd like to do: I want each of us to be able to engender more trust tomorrow, literally tomorrow, than we do today. And the way to do that is to understand where trust wobbles for ourselves, and have a ready-made prescription to overcome it. So that's what I would like to do together. Would you give me some sense of whether or not you're here voluntarily? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Okay. So it's just super helpful feedback. <laughs> so the most common wobble is empathy. The most common wobble is that people just don't believe. That we're mostly in it for them, and they they believe that we're too self-distracted, and it's no wonder. We are all so busy with so many demands on our time. It's easy to crowd out the time and space that empathy requires. For Dylan to be Dylan, that takes real time. And for us, if we have too much to do, we may not have that time. But that puts us into a vicious cycle. Because without revealing empathy, it makes everything harder. Without the benefit of the doubt of trust, makes everything harder, and then we have less and less time for empathy, and so it goes. So here's the prescription: identify where, when, and to whom you are likely to offer your distraction. That should trace pretty perfectly to when, where, and to whom you are likely to withhold your empathy. And if in those instances we can come up with a trigger that gets us to look up, look at the people right in front of us, listen to them, deeply immerse ourselves in their perspectives, then. We have a chance of having a sturdy leg of empathy, and if you do nothing else, please put away your cell phone. It is the largest distraction magnet yet to be made, and it is super difficult to create empathy and trust in its presence. That takes care of the empathy wobblers. Logic wobbles. Can come in two forms. It's either the quality of your logic, or it's your ability to communicate the logic. Now, if the quality of your logic is at risk, I can't really help you with that. <laughs> it's like not in this much time. <laughs> But fortunately, it's often the case that our logic is sound, but it's the It's our ability to communicate the logic that is in jeopardy. Super fortunately, there's a very easy fix to this. If we consider that there are two ways to communicate in the world, and Harvard Business School professors are known by two by twos, nonsense. It's the triangle that rocks. <laughs> If we consider that there are two ways to communicate in the world, and the first one. Is when you take us on a journey, a magnificent journey 
that has twists and turns and mystery and drama until you ultimately get to the point. And some of the best communicators in the world communicate just like this. But if you have a logic wobble, this can be super dangerous. So instead, I implore you, start with your point in a crisp half sentence, and then give your supporting evidence. This means that people will be able to get access to our awesome ideas, and just as importantly, if you get cut off before you're done, ladies, If you get cut off before you're done, you still get credit for the idea, as opposed to someone else coming in and snatching it from you. You just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> the third wobble is authenticity, and I find it to be the most vexing. We, as a human species, can sniff out in a moment, literally in a moment, whether or not someone is being their authentic, true self. So, in many ways, the prescription is clear. You don't want to have an authenticity wobble. Be you. Great. <laughs> And that is super easy to do when you're around people who are like you. But if you represent any sort of difference, the prescription to be you can be super challenging. I have been tempted at every step of my career, tempted personally and tempted by coaching of others, to mute who I am in the world. I'm a woman of super strong opinion, with really deep convictions, direct speech. I have a magnificent wife, and together we have such crazy ambition. I prefer men's clothes and comfortable shoes. Thank you, Alberts. <laughs> In some contexts, this makes me different. I hope that each person here has the beautiful luxury of representing difference in some context in your life. But with that privilege comes a very sincere temptation to hold back who we are, and if we hold back who we are, we're less likely to be trusted, and if we're less likely to be trusted, we're less likely to be given stretch assignments, and without those stretch assignments, we're less likely to get promoted, and so on and so on until we are super depressed by the demographic tendencies of our senior leadership. And it all comes back to our being, our authentic selves. So here's my advice: wear whatever makes you feel fabulous. Pay less attention to what you think people want to hear from you, and far more attention to what your authentic, awesome self needs to say. And to the leaders in the room, it is your obligation. To set the conditions that not only makes it safe for us to be authentic, but makes it welcome 
makes it celebrated, cherishes it for exactly what it is, which it is the key for us achieving greater excellence than we have ever known is possible. So let's go back to Uber. What happened at Uber? When I got there, Uber was wobbling all over the place. Empathy, logic, authenticity were all wobbling like crazy. But we were able to find super effective, super quick fixes for two of the wobbles. I'll give you an illustration of empathy. In the meetings at Uber, it was not uncommon for people to be texting one another about the meeting. I had never seen anything like it. It may have done many things, but it did not create a safe, empathetic environment. The solution, though, super clear: technology off and away, and that forced people to look up, to look at the people in front of them, to listen to them, to immerse themselves in their perspectives, and to to collaborate in unprecedented ways. Logic was equally wobbly, and this was because of the hypergrowth of the organization. Meant that people, managers, were getting promoted again and again and again. Soon, they were put in positions that they had no business being in. Their positions outstripped their capability, and it was not their fault. The solution: a massive influx of executive education that focused specifically on logic. On strategy and leadership, gave people the rigor of the quality of their logic, and it turned a whole lot of triangles right side up, so people were able to communicate effectively with one another. The last one, authenticity. I'll say it's still mighty wobbly, but honestly, that doesn't make Uber very different from all of the other companies I've seen in Silicon Valley and beyond. It is still much easier to coach people to fit in. It is still much easier to reward people when they say something that you were going to say, as opposed to rewarding people when they say something entirely different than what you were going to say. But when we figure out this, when we figure out how to celebrate difference and how to let people bring the best version of themselves forward. Well, holy cow! Is that the world I want my sons to grow up in? And with the collection of people here, it would be a privilege to lock arms with you and go ahead and rebuild trust in every corner of the globe. Thank you very much. If there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of enjoying alcohol, it's with Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works: when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/tedbusiness to get 15% off your first order when you use Ted Business at checkout. 
ZBiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash tedbusiness and use the code tedbusiness at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, ZBiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors and the problems they bring? Like employees missing bills because of shorted paychecks. Managers taking the heat from angry employees about those shorted paychecks. HR and payroll teams clocking late hours to correct timesheets, expense mistakes, missing overtime, and sick days. All of that is so unnecessary. Pump the brakes on payroll errors for good by putting employees in the driver's seat. With Paycom's Betty, employees do their own payroll. Betty identifies errors and guides employees to fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong, and who knows when their pay is wrong or right better than employees. So why not let them fix payroll problems before they become problems? When you get payroll precision every time, unnecessary payroll hassles become, well, unnecessary. Manage the process to make payday right for everyone with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. Frances Fry never ceases to amaze me with her wisdom. I had the opportunity to experience this wisdom on several occasions in her classroom when I was an MBA and PhD student at Harvard Business School. And honestly, what blows me away about her insights on building trust is that they demonstrate that she walks the talk. Being a student in her classroom can be terrifying because, as she said, she is a straight talker. However, the empathy and humor she displays when you might have gotten something incorrect, the quality of logic she pushes you to communicate, and her modeling of authenticity creates a safe environment where you can be you. It's powerful. But what's especially powerful about this talk for me is that Francis implores us to, quote, pay less attention to what you think people want to hear from you and far more attention to what your authentic, awesome self needs to say. How do we do that? I'm going to take this opportunity to try. What my authentic self needs to share on this subject are tips to people who don't look like me about how to allow people who do look like me to be our authentic selves in organizational environments where we are numerical minorities. The whole diversity, equity, and inclusion movement among companies right now can only succeed if it's built on trust. And historically marginalized workers can only really trust their organizations if they can be authentic. So if you want to build real trust for everyone on your team, here are my thoughts. As an African-American child of immigrants, I have been in predominantly white environments my entire life. This includes the private all-girls school I attended in New York City, college, the strategy consulting firm and investment bank I worked in, the MBA and PhD classrooms at Harvard Business School, 
and the halls of Columbia Business School, where I'm currently a professor. All my life, I've been the only Black person or one of a handful in each of these environments. The raisin and the sparse oatmeal raisin cookie, as my friends and I sometimes joke. All my life, I've had to engage in some degree of self-censorship, of being inauthentic, of, quote, covering, as Irving Goffman coined the term, which was elaborated on by law professor Kenji Yoshino at NYU. Covering is defined as downplaying aspects of our identity that make us different from mainstream society. Yoshino and Deloitte University did a study of over 3,000 workers, which included a mix of ages, races, ethnicities, genders, and orientations. And these were people from multiple organizations and all levels within their organization. And they found that most people cover in some way or another. There's appearance-based covering, like dyeing your hair, or as Francis mentioned, wearing uncomfortable clothes or shoes. There's advocacy-based covering, such as not sharing your political affiliation out of fear of offending others. There's affiliation-based covering, not exhibiting behaviors associated with a negatively stereotyped identity, such as a woman maybe avoiding discussions about being a mother out of fear of signaling less commitment to her work. And there's association-based covering, avoiding interacting with certain groups so you're not thought of as 2X or 2Y, in my case, sometimes it's too black. What brings me so much joy about Francis's talk is that it encourages us to abandon the multiple ways in which we cover and instead to share our full selves with others in the workplace. But that's so much easier said than done because counter to the narrative Francis highlights, I am living proof that many of us have gotten promoted, have gotten mentored, have made it through the ranks by downplaying many aspects of ourselves. For instance, my friends and I have downplayed that we grew up in poor neighborhoods, which is why I insist on living in the same neighborhood I grew up in so that I can be an example of what is possible. That neighborhood is Harlem. And there are still times, despite how gentrified Harlem is, where I don't immediately share where I live so people don't jump to conclusions. Why are all the Black kids sitting together at the cafeteria? That's the title of Beverly Tatum's book on conversations about race. But let me tell you, it's because in environments where you're in the numerical minority, the cafeteria may be the only place where the handful of you can get together and share the realities of your neighborhood, where you can be your authentic selves. So in the spirit of paying attention to what my authentic awesome self needs to say, I'm going to take this moment to share some tips on exactly how to create safe space for people like me to share our unique perspectives outside of the cafeteria. These days, so many organizations I advise and to which I belong are interested in better understanding how to increase the representation of Black people at all hierarchical levels. Notice I said Black people, not people of color. This choice of words was intentional. Which brings me to tip number one. When discussing increasing the representation of Black people in your organization, please resist the urge in the moment to expand the conversation beyond Blacks. You might ask, what about other groups of color? What about women? What about those with disabilities, LGBTQ, other categories? 
Yes, you should absolutely care about and take action on discrimination that affects these groups. But don't lump all groups together and risk missing the specificity of each experience and the particular power of anti-Black racism in America. Because that would be an empathy wobble, a distraction that can signal you don't fully understand the depth of systemic racism and the unique impact it has had on Blacks in America. And as Francis mentions, empathy wobbles hinder trust building and make people who look like me want to recoil back into being our inauthentic selves. Tip number two, share your appreciation. If you feel that warm glow we all experience when witnessing someone reveal their authentic self, please don't hesitate to share your appreciation for this authenticity with people who look like me or anyone for that matter. Let them know how what they said impacted you. It might've moved you, tell them how. It might've prompted you to think differently. Share what you learned. And for the third and final tip, don't stop at just adding one more black person to your senior ranks. So many companies have now committed to increasing the number of blacks in the C-suite. And in case you didn't know, There are only a handful of Black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And shall we say, the gender diversity is sorely lacking. Blacks make up only 1% of Fortune 500 CEOs, despite comprising 13.4% of the population. So what does this all mean? As you work toward recruiting more Black people, Beware of a phenomenon my collaborators Edward Chang, Katie Milkman, Dolly Chug, and I refer to as tokenism. In our work, we found that as organizations have sought to transcend tokenism, as in having a single underrepresented person to demonstrate diversity, they have converged on a similar bias of having precisely two underrepresented individuals in coveted positions. We see this in the representation of women on corporate boards. So while adding one more Black person to a company's senior ranks is a step in the right direction, stopping there would demonstrate some pretty wobbly logic, making people who care deeply about dismantling systemic racism less trusting of your organization. I really hope you'll put these tips into practice. They're my way of trying to be a better version of myself every day, more authentic and less wobbly. They are also my way of trying to help organizations reflect the diversity that exists in our society. Let's do all we can to help each other in this process because the only way we can truly rebuild broader trust is together. Thanks for tuning in this week. TED Business is hosted by me, Madupa Akinola. Grace Rubenstein is our producer. The show is edited by Sheena Ozaki and mixed by Dan DeZula. Special thanks to Colin Helms, Michelle Quint, Angela Chang, Corey Hajim, and Anna Fila. I'll talk to you again next week. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software 
with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. Odoo, modern management made simple.